Chapter Twenty Three of Household Puzzles by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Three: A Discussion Closed. There is no use in continuing this discussion, Mister Monroe. I am quite decided as to my views. Discussion," repeated Mister Monroe, speaking a little crossly. His fine temper was being somewhat injured by the atmosphere of his home life. It might as well be continued on that subject as any other. We live in a state of discussion from week to week. I am quite willing to discontinue it whenever it shall please you to give me a chance. But as for living in this disgusting fashion any longer, I simply am not going to do it. I did not promise to marry a drunkard, and I have no intention of being a drunkard's wife. They were at tea table, and Mr. Monroe set down his cup with a ring and spoke sternly. It would puzzle me, Helen, to tell what you did marry me for. It couldn't have been for love, though your promises were solemn enough. But I suppose they amount to about as much as other promises made in church. I'll be hanged if you ever gave me reason to think you wasted such a commodity as love on me. If you wanted my money instead of me, why, I'm sure I give you enough of that. Now, why can't you be content and let a fellow alone? Because, as I said before, whatever other foolish thing I may have done, I did not marry a drunkard, and I will not be a drunkard's wife. I hope you understand me. I have heard you talk often enough to understand you. You certainly do not obscure your meaning with tender words. I'm not sure, but it would be policy to be a drunkard out and out. At least I couldn't be expected to listen to discussions. Suppose you try it. Mrs. Monroe said, with flashing eyes, but perfect composure in her voice. Try it twice more, and see how quickly I will leave your establishment to take care of itself. I'm thankful that I have a home and a father. Mr. Monroe arose suddenly. His wife's composed words seemed to sting his heart. Perhaps you would like to try it, he said angrily. I'm not sure that you would care, provided I had to keep your purse full. I don't know, but we would both be happier. This is a villainous sort of life to live, anyhow. I'll move across the street to live if you think you will find it more agreeable, and I shall in any case if you come home once more in the state that you were last night. Oh, come, Helen, don't talk to a fellow that way. It was mean treatment, and I'm ashamed of it. I told you so at the time. I'm trying hard enough to keep away from the cursed temptation, but I need your help. I married you, Helen, because I loved you, and I need you. This is my time of trial. You needn't think I am not struggling, for I am. Will you help me? A very pleading sound his voice had, but the world had gone awry with his wife that day. The dressmaker had failed in making a good fit, and so injured an elegant dress which couldn't be matched so she answered the pleading voice still coldly. I can only say that it is a very strange sort of love that exhibits itself in coming home in an idiotic, disgusting condition of mind and body. I would advise you not to repeat an experiment of that kind. It might be once too often. Then I'll go and try it. He spoke angrily, all the gentleness, all the pleading gone out of his voice, and immediately he went out, banging the door after him. It might have been two hours afterward, it might have been longer. 
Mrs. Munroe never knew quite what time it was, that there was a sound of subdued voices in the hall, a kind of suppressed confusion. She stepped at once to the door and met Mr. Harper. Behind him were men and a burden. Mr. Harper pressed forward to intercept her step and words, but she had nursed herself into still greater rage during the intervening hours, and Mr. Harper's presence only served to anger her still more. "'You need not bring him here,' she said, losing all self-control. "'As long as I am mistress of this house, it shall not harbor drunken men. I warned him of the consequences. Carry him around the corner to his father's. Let him see the beautiful son he has brought up.' Her eyes were blazing with excitement, and her whole manner was indicative of one who had lost all self-control. To Mr. Harper it was evident that prompt and decisive measures were necessary. His voice sounded almost stern in his effort at self-control. "'Mrs. Monroe, you mistake. Your husband is dead.' What a sudden, terrible sentence! She reeled, and would have fallen but for his supporting arm. He pushed open the parlor door and helped her in, motioning at the same time to the men to move forward with their burden. Once in the parlor, Mrs. Monroe neither screamed nor fainted. She looked frightened and shocked, but not, as Mr. Harper had expected, utterly overwhelmed. She sank down in the nearest chair and spoke quickly. "'What do you mean? Is he really dead? What is the matter? What happened?' "'It is quite hopeless,' Mr. Harper said, averting his eyes that he might not intrude upon her grief. "'He went into Harder's about an hour ago.' Your brother said he was in a state of great excitement, had been drinking, and drank again. From there he went back to his own store, and Thompson, feeling alarmed about him, accompanied him. He acted strangely, put his hands to his head, said he guessed he had done it this time, and more, too, referring, your brother thought, to some transaction that troubled him. Suddenly, in passing from the store to the office, he fell in what we thought was a fainting fit, but it proved to be congestion, caused by some unknown excitement, and—and and liquor. Mr. Harper judged it right to speak the whole truth even then. He added but a sentence. He breathed but a few times, and did not speak at all. Before a physician reached us, he was dead. "'Dead!' Mrs. Monroe repeated, as if in bewilderment. "'Why, that isn't possible!' It is only a little while since he went out perfectly well, and I said, Oh, God, forgive me, I wish I had said anything but that. Mr. Harper stood in silence, doubtful what next to do or say. Mrs. Monroe sat silent. If he could have looked at her thoughts, they would have read thus. How dreadful it is! Then I am a widow, and I have been married so short a time. I wonder what I shall do. I suppose I shall have to go home, that's what I said to him. I wish I hadn't said that. I won't go home. I couldn't leave all my nice things and live in that wretched pokey old house again. I'm Mrs. Monroe, and I belong here. I shall stay, and have someone live with me. But how strange it will seem, and how dreadful. I'm young to be a widow. I shall have to put on black again, and I've had it off so short a time. Widows wear very deep mourning, Black is very becoming to me, but it is very sad to have to wear it. And this was all that Mrs. Monroe knew about being a widow. 
Do you think that Mr. Harper would have stood regarding her with such pitiful eyes if he could have read those thoughts? I tell you the pity would have been doubled, yea, trebled. To be a widow, when that word expresses all the unutterable, voiceless agony of a soul to whom life seems to have gone out in the blackness of darkness, is pitiful. But to be a widow, and to have the widowed heart know absolutely nothing of the blessed love that brightens all the past, and lights up the gloom of the future, that is bitterness indeed. But Mrs. Monroe did not know it. Perhaps this but increased the weight of pity that a strong, true heart would feel for her. She broke the silence suddenly, looking up at Mr. Harper as she spoke. "'How strangely you are mixed up with my life!' It seemed such a strange thing to say at this time. It embarrassed him, he hardly knew why. "'I was in the store at the time,' he answered in a low constrained voice. "'Mrs. Monroe, what are your commands? What can I do first? Actually the worst part of this widow's trial was yet to come. It was revealed to her by Tom, who seemed to be her evil genius. She sat couched among the pillows of her lounge, a light shawl thrown around her, and occasionally she shivered, not from cold but with excitement and pain. In the next room her husband lay in his coffin. "'How do you know all this?' she said to Tom, suppressed excitement in her voice. "'From excellent authority. Your respected father-in-law took the trouble to enlighten me.' "'And he said everything was gone?' "'Everything belonging to Horace, and a great deal that belonged to his father. You know the business was left very much to Horace, and his father says that he has not been in a condition to attend to business for some time.' "'Thanks to you,' she said with flashing eyes. "'Horace was always running down to take a social glass with you.' but that his heart was really pitiful for her, Tom could have laughed, the idea of him leading Horace Monroe astray. "'Helen, that is pretty hard on a fellow,' he said, half-beseechingly. "'I could tell you some solemn truths if it would do any good.' "'I don't want to hear your truths, nor anything else. I don't believe a word of all this. I'm not going to give up my house and go to live with them, and be ordered about by Mrs. Monroe. They needn't expect it.' They don't. That was part of my express direction to explain to you that the family were so situated it would be impossible to receive you there, and as it was equally impossible for you to stay here, your only alternative would be to go home. And what am I to live on, I should like to know? I ventured to make a similar inquiry, and he assured me he would do all he could for you, but it would become necessary for you, as well as for themselves, to practice the most rigid economy. If there were two words in the English language that Helen Monroe hated, they were those two, rigid economy. "'I don't believe a word of it,' she said again, more sharply than before. "'Why need you come here with your croaking? You might at least have waited until my husband was buried. He was so good to me. He was the only friend I ever had.' Part of this sentence angered Tom, part of it touched him. His answer was prompted by a mixture of both feelings. It was not a task I coveted, that of coming to you with my croaking. But Mr. Monroe foolishly enough imagined me to be the proper person to break the tidings to you, and he was particular enough in having it done before he met you. He said he considered it wiser for all parties. He is not much like our father, 
and helen the trouble is heavy enough but you have friends left and a home to go to such a home as that is and mrs munroe's lip curled scornfully there is a great contrast between that home and this one i wonder if you think i can ever be content to come down to that sort of life again it is better than nothing tom said vexed again i should prefer it to starvation and i shouldn't wonder if you would be prevailed upon to take up with it mrs munroe turned her head wearily toward the wall i shall have to take up with anything or nothing she said in a heavy dreary tone i have lost my friend my one friend and then tom's heart ached for her again he had a great longing to comfort her there are other things beside this life he began awkwardly other hopes and friendships i suppose i should think they might be a comfort at such a time his sister moved restlessly on her couch don't talk of what you know nothing about she said impatiently i don't believe in that sort of talk anyway what sort do you believe in he asked coolly his sympathy fast oozing away no sort that comes from you i wish you would go home i'm going I'm glad I have been able to see how beautifully religion sustains and upholds people in time of trial. I've heard considerable about it, but I never realized it as forcibly as I do now. And Tom Randolph actually went down the stairs whistling. Maria appeared to him from one of the rooms below, looking reproving volumes. It's not quite the thing I admit, he said in answer to her look, but a fellow sometimes whistles when— but for education and principle and all that, he might swear. Maria, Helen has got to come home to live. Now you whistle if you can. Home? Maria said, in undisguised dismay. What for? The Monroe property has gone up, Horace's part of it anyway, and old Monroe says the whole is going. That is all moonshine, though, but they don't feel any too comfortable toward her. They think it is her fault that he went to the mischief so fast. Oh, Tom, you didn't tell Helen they said so? It's not very likely, though I'll admit that I was horribly tempted. Tom, what in the world shall we do? Maria said, going back to the astounding and painful revelation. I thought she would live on here and perhaps take Grace to live with her. Grace is the only one of us who can't possibly earn her own living. If worse comes to worse, I could hoe potatoes, but what Grace could do puzzles me. And now that planning is over with. What shall we do? Whistle, said Tom philosophically. That is all there is left to do. She's got to come anyhow. Don't you feel the force of the elevating and consolatory influences of religion that they tell about? I realize it more and more. There's faith, Maria said thoughtfully. Bah! Life goes as smooth with her as with a summer day. What has she to be consoled about? But she has lost all her friends, you know, no one left but Pearly. Yes, and she had hysterics every day for a month, I presume. They are just the sort to get over it quickly. Well, there's father. Yes, he said, there's father, that's true. It's a puzzling world. All the proprieties were observed in Mr. Monroe's funeral. No one certainly would have imagined that the firm were on the eve of failure, from the amount of money lavished on the quiet, senseless clay and its belongings. 
his widow was shrouded in bombazine and crepe of the finest texture and everything was becomingly solemn and sombre ermina stood on the doorstep waiting her turn to enter the carriage there was some delay their father had been the one on whom the widow was to depend for support but his strength at the last moment had proved too slight for the occasion mr randolph was fast dropping into invalidism and tom had been summoned hurriedly from ermina's side to attend his eldest sister during the delay occasioned by the change of programme mr harper came from the hall and stood for a moment beside ermina instantly she remembered what his last words had been to her how little either had imagined where they might meet she wondered if he remembered it even as she wondered he bent slightly toward her and spoke low is the decision made it is she said firmly it is body and soul this time end of chapter 23